So I thought last week was going to be all the feels. For those of you that don't know what I'm talking about, last Sunday at the conclusion of our service, I announced my resignation from Southview as senior pastor. Um, Three weeks from today, the 27th of February, will be my last Sunday as your senior pastor. God's called me to a new role to be the associational mission strategist of our Heartland Church Network, our regional group of 70-plus Southern Baptist churches in this half of Nebraska and in western Iowa. And if you didn't get that news, it's because you weren't here, you're not subscribed to our newsletter, so there's another plug to subscribe to the newsletter, right? Uh, Because that newsletter email list, we send out any kind of church news like that. And so God bless Myra for having us sing that song. The wind and the waves still know his name. And to have my uh, dear friend Jessica, a sister I love and respect so much, to pray. Yeah. We're going to talk about Psalm 23 today. So if you haven't already, open your Bibles to Psalm 23. But we're talking about it not because this is a funeral. (laughs) I'm not dying. You're not either. I firmly believed the best days for our church are ahead. Part of my calling to this new role was that God had to convince me that maybe I'm not the right pastor for the next chapter at Southview. And I had all kinds of struggles and major crisis of belief, shared that with some of you and asked for your prayers. But it's where God has clearly called me. Over the last six months, people have come and spoken to me, not just a little bit, but a lot, and said, you know, you ought to consider this role as Mark, our current association mission strategist, is retiring, and that process to hire his successor is moving forward. So I'm going where God has clearly called me. I'll write a little bit more about that in the future. I'll talk a little bit more about that in the future. But here's the other thing I know. For 16 years, I prayed whenever God called me from this place, we'd raise up a pastor from within. God's called Pastor Nathan too. And if you weren't here last week or if you didn't get that email. Let me just fill in that blank for you too. Um, Immediately upon my ceasing to be your senior pastor, the church has already agreed, the church council, that Nathan will be the interim pastor on a part-time basis starting March 1st. We have a lot to be thankful for, church. God is at work among us. That was a prayer of mine for 16 years, and we see it come to fruition. We know who we are at Southview. We're grown Christ followers. We know what God has called us to do at Southview. Grow Christ followers. And we know how to do it. To be otherish. Sacrificial in our love to one another. To do life together. And so today we seek God's assurance. Today we seek God's provision. Today we remind ourselves of God's protection. Today we remind ourselves of God's guidance. All because of His Amazing love. 
We're going to put Psalm 23 on the screen, and even though it's not the King James Version, it's NIV, I want us all to read it together, and we're going to read the whole thing together, so let's try to stick together. I won't go too fast, you don't either, and let's read the entire thing. A Psalm of David, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures, he leads me beside quiet waters, he refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for You are with me. Your rod and Your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely Your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. The Lord is my shepherd. No matter what else is going on in my life, in your life, our church life, we can be assured that the Lord The Lord God, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. The Lord God is our shepherd. And so we want to talk about this morning in three points and three questions, how the Lord is our shepherd. The first one on your outline is that I'm going to get satisfaction. The Rolling Stones sang that song that I will not sing nor dance like Mick Jagger. I can't get no satisfaction. But quite the opposite, the scripture tells us that God will satisfy us, God will meet our needs, and that's what we see in the first three verses of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, in verse 1. A shepherd was everything to his sheep, a shepherd is everything to his sheep. I haven't seen too many shepherds of sheep because I haven't been in that part of the world, but one of the most terrifying shepherd scenes I've seen was when we were landing in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, in a big old jet that flies overseas, a 767-300ER, and, you know, so there's 250 of us on board. The plane was packed. And as we're coming to land in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, I could see here's the town with some skyscrapers and stuff, but a lot of things that look like you might expect an African town express uh, stretching out around as I'm looking out the window. But then as we're coming in, and remember my dad's an airline mechanic, and I've flown a whole lot on airplanes, so I know all the sounds, and you can look out the window and say, hey, we're getting close, we're about to land. You know, the flaps are coming down, the gear doors go, and the gear comes out, you know, and you, you feel that under you, and you're like, oh, we're about to land. Well, right alongside the runway in Addis Ababa was a little half-naked shepherd boy with some scrawny cows. And I'm looking at this scene as we're about to land this multi-million dollar aircraft with 200 plus lives on it. And I'm thinking, this is not safe. If that little boy lets one of those cows get in front of us, I mean, the landing gear's down, we're on the belly, we're all dead, or at least some people are. What in the world were the people at that airport thinking, letting a little half-naked shepherd boy with those scrawny cows right beside a runway? I'm not talking on the other side of a fence. I'm talking like right there, the wing might go over their head as we pass by. Thankfully, we made it. (laughs) I'm still alive, right? Didn't have an airline crash. 
But that shepherd, even though he was half-naked and a scrawny little young man and had scrawny cattle, he knew his cattle. He knew that place. He wasn't worried, even though it freaked me out. God is our shepherd, and there's nothing that freaks him out because he's created it all. He knows all the ugliness of every person that's ever lived, but he also knows all the grace and love and kindness and dignity courage of every person that's ever lived. And the scripture says that because the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want or I lack nothing. The wicked are always in want, but the righteous never wants. It's a test for your heart. It's if you're struggling with your want and then you're struggling with your flesh. If you have too much want, then you have too much selfishness. If you have too much want, then you don't have enough faith in God. The wicked always want is what C.H. Spurgeon said, but the righteous never. A sinner's heart is far from satisfaction, but a gracious spirit dwells in the palace of the content. Verse 2. Verse 2 says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. I don't know if you've ever lied down somewhere like that. When the day was just perfect through dappled sunshine, and a little breeze, and you just lay down in the grass to take a rest. And you hear all the sounds of nature all around you. And you're so at peace that even though you're thinking, oh, a bug could land on me or crawl on me, you don't even care. And you just drift off to sleep. Because you're in the presence of God, in the place He's made, and you're lying down in comfort and in peace. And then it says, He leads me beside quiet waters. This picture, poetically, of a shepherd with sheep, as we as those sheep, as God has provided the grass, as God has provided the water, what the sheep needed, God provides for us. Verse 3, He restores my soul, or He refreshes my soul. When I grow tired, He strengthens me. When I'm sorrowful, He revives me. When I'm sinful, He sanctifies me. When I'm worried, He assures me. When I'm fearful, He encourages me. Where are you right now that you need God to do something only He can do in your life? What is your when I fill in the blank that you need God to fill in the other blank in your life? What questions, what worries, what fears, what needs that God would refresh your soul? It says He guides me in paths of righteousness. Not just any path, but a path of righteousness. When I first went to serve my former church in Venus, Texas, a little country town, we didn't necessarily have cell phones with maps on them or guidance like that. You know, you might could go to the church office and put in an email or an address on MapQuest and wait a while till the page loaded on the slow internet. You know, you remember those days and print out directions and carry them with you and hope you got there, right? But, you know, we were in the countryside, so a lot of folks would give those kind of country directions. 
Well, you know, just go past your house about a mile and, and, and you see this red shack. You turn right at that red shack, follow that twisty road around till you go past the black cattle. I'm not kidding you. That's how I got directions when I first got there. You know, they're always in the pasture on the right-hand side of the road, but just past the black cattle on the right-hand side of the road, turn left down a little gravel road and their house is down a little bit. It's a cream-colored house with gray shingles. Okay, Jesus, you're going to have to get me there. (laughs) I'm writing these directions down. I'm hoping I see these places. I'm telling myself, don't go at dark because you have to identify all these things during the daytime. Wouldn't it be so much easier if you had a guide rather than directions like that that are funny um, and you've probably got them before or rather than a map that shows you the way from MapQuest printed out like 20 years ago or rather than even Siri to say, turn right and 100 feet, you know, something like that. That you had somebody with you in the car and say, hey, we're going to make the next right here. See that sign? Yeah, we're going to turn right here. Or they're with you. And that's what God says of himself in this psalm, that he guides us. He guides us not just anywhere, but in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He guides us to obedience. He guides us to love. He guides us to grace. He guides us to mercy. So these blessings that we have, the shepherding, the providing, the refreshment, the encouragement, the direction, they all lead to this question, and that's on your outline there. You've got a point. That point was, I'm going to get satisfaction, but the question is, how has God blessed me? How's God blessed me? I've talked off and on through the months preceding this about you having a thankful list. And so I'm going to ask you, do you have your thankful list? Have you written it down, the things that God has blessed you for? If not, there's your homework. Go home and make it today. Uh, Look at your spouse. Look at somebody in your family. Ask them if they have their thankful list. I'm waiting for you. Seriously, ask them. And if they don't, ask them when they're going to make it. This afternoon, are you going to be busy watching the Olympics or... Something like that. You make your list. Write it down. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. A thankful list of the people in your life. A thankful list of the God things God has provided for you. A thankful list of your abilities, of your memories, the places you've been, the people you've known, the things you've done. A thankful list even for your hopes and dreams for the future. I think of a thankful list for our church. I think of our church staff. Our ministry leaders, our ministry volunteers, all of you that make up who we are, our church council that serves us, our deacons, those relationships, the support, the ministry, everything we do, the encouragement, the love. Not only do I know that God will meet my needs, that God will bless me, but we've got something else to consider, and that's your second point today. But I'm not afraid of the shadows. I know that God is going to satisfy or meet my needs, but I also know that I don't have to be afraid of the shadows. Yes, there in reality are bad things that can hurt us, whether that be a disease or an oncoming vehicle or some circumstance aside from that. But look at what it says in Psalm 23, 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. The valley of the shadow of death means it's not death itself. It's only the valley of the shadow of death. And the one word I love there, through. Through. If you go to my website, AaronHouseholder.net, go to the search and you type in that one word through, you'll get a blog post I wrote years years ago about that. 
Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. As Christ followers, we're not speaking of physical death here. Though we pass from this life, we have eternal life. And as Christ followers, we're speaking of difficult things as if they're death here. Though we might wish we would die when we have a kidney stone. Though we might wish we would die when something happens and we lose our job or a relationship is broken or challenged. Though the pain might be unbearable, though the questions might be unanswerable at the moment, that God is with us. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, what does it say? I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. You know, God's not surprised by the timing of my calling to this new job. And when we consider that in relation to our capital campaign, I just have to say, God's not surprised. God knew. We need to trust God because he's got a plan to get himself more glory since I won't be here. And besides, you guys don't need me anyhow. We have a capital campaign made up, a committee made up of you guys that's going to lead this thing. Pastor Nathan will be preaching and it's going to be amazing what God will do. But when we think about God leading us through. It wasn't surprising to me that in my daily Bible reading this past week, I came to the transition from Moses to Joshua, the end of Deuteronomy, the beginning of the book of Joshua. And I said to Pastor Nathan, I said, bro, I'm not Moses and you're not Joshua, but there's some things that God is trying to teach me through this. He and I will talk about that further. God has been in this and he knows the timing. He's not surprised by it because he gets the glory for it. What does it say then? It says your rod and your staff comfort me. A shepherd used a rod like a club to project his sheep from evil, from wolves or coyotes or predators. A shepherd uses staff, you know, the long skinny thing that we see with a crook on the end to gather his sheep, to prod his sheep, to poke him in the right direction. So rod and staff demonstrate God's defense and his direction, his protection and his provision, the two parts of shepherding. And what's it say next there? Verse five. You prepare a table before me. Everybody likes to eat. Anybody here not like to eat? If you don't like to eat, it's probably because you're on a diet right now. The rest of us, we like to eat. and We're not afraid to say it. We like to eat. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now, that's a little bit challenging. Have you ever considered the fact that if you're a godly person, if you're doing God's will, you will have enemies? Jesus had enemies, not because he was mean to them, not because he sinned against them, but because he stood up for righteousness and he stood up for godliness and he told them this is right and this is wrong. That's why Jesus had enemies. They chose to be his enemies. He didn't make them his enemies or do anything to them other than follow God's will. You will have enemies if you are following God. But what's it say? You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. In other words, God's got you there together. And then this amazing picture, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows two pictures, excuse me. That anointing is God's blessing, God's separation, God's preparation That God's got something for you that you don't know. And that final phrase, my cup overflows. If 
it's your home and you're not paying attention to your children and they overflow the bathtub, that's not an overflow you want, is it? If it backs up and you overflow the toilet, that's certainly not an overflow that you want. But think about the overflow of blessings. Think about God's goodness in your life, just the opposite of those two ugly pictures of homeownership I just painted for you. And think about all that God does for you and how that is so much more wonderful and amazing. And your cup's overflowing. It leads us to our second application question. And that second application question asks, where have I experienced God's protection? I'm not afraid of the shadows because I've experienced God's protection that just as it says, though, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare that table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head. My cup overflows. God, you've got me. You've carried me. You've sustained me from before to now. And you're going to do it until such time as I draw my last breath on this earth or until Jesus cracks the open sky, whichever comes first. What can I add to my thankful list if I don't have it there already? What God has done, how He has worked, how He's brought glory to Himself in my life, in the people's lives I know, how He's shown His power through our church and in the lives of people I know. God is at work. And God's at work to bring Himself glory through me, through you, through our church. Not only do I know that God will meet all my various needs, but I know I don't have to be afraid of things because God's got this. Let's get to our third point this morning, our final verse. I'm a child in God's house. God's going to provide for me like a shepherd. I don't have to be afraid of everything because he's a shepherd and he's got me. But that analogy of verse six goes further. That I'm a member of God's household that prepare a table in the presence of my enemies that anoint my head, set me apart, my cup overflows. Those are leading us to the picture in verse 6. And that picture in verse 6 is surely goodness and love. Surely your goodness and love. You know that good old hymn, if you don't know it, go home and Google or Google it right now. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days, all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, not some of the days of my life. When things are going good, we can walk around and sing, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. Oops, sorry. I shouldn't have sung. Boomch. <laughs> Dustin, where are you when I need you, man? (laughs) But when things are going bad, we don't really feel like singing that song, do we? But what does that song say? Because what does this psalm say? Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. The good days and the bad days. The perfect days and the imperfect days. The days I love and the days I hate. The days that bring me joy and the days that freak me out. God is with me. And His goodness and love is with me all the days of my life. 
And what's it say there, that final promise? And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's a metaphor, meaning you belong to God's household. He's got you. He's never going to let you go, no matter how bad your life gets from your perspective. God is your shepherd. God is at work. God has got this. We've got a final question And that final question is, when have I celebrated God's grace? Have you celebrated God's grace even in the midst of the mess? You go, God, I don't see how this mess is going to work out. It is beyond me. My heart is hurting. The circumstances look dire. I don't know how this relationship is going to be healed. I don't know how these finances are going to be met. I don't know how you're going to provide for me with a job. I don't know what you're going to do in our church. But God, I know you are faithful. And God, I know you have got this. Your word promises me. So God, no matter the circumstance, I am going to celebrate your grace. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. That picture in the corner of the screen, those are redwood trees. Redwood trees, other than giant sequoias, are some of the largest trees on earth. I've had the privilege to walk among them a couple times out in California. And it's a crazy experience because the trees are so tall and there's so much other stuff in the understory growing that it's almost like being in one of those quiet rooms like when you go see Dr. Emily Wakefield because she's an audiologist at the university. And you walk in that room and it sounds different because there's no sound. You know, they got the stuff on the walls and everything and you're like, wow, I've never heard a room like this before if you're a guy like me going to get your hearing tested. I had that same sensation in the redwood forest that there was so much there to capture the sound that even if something was moving, I didn't hear it. And Melanie and I are walking through this redwood forest for hours just going, wow, this is amazing. But the thing about the redwood forest is that I wanted to tell you is not the sound that's absorbed because there's so much life, but that even though these things might be, you know, bigger around than I can reach, 200, 300 feet tall for the really old ones, the ones that are as old as Jesus walked the earth. Yeah, there's trees still out there in California that have been around for 2,000 years. Do you know how redwoods grow? Together. Only together. Redwoods don't grow on their own. They grow together. God made them, even though they're massive, only to grow together. God's done the same thing for us. You could be a Lone Ranger Christian. You can read your Bible on your own. You can pray on your own. You can stay home every week. You can try. But God intended you to be together. God intended you to gather here to worship. God intended you to gather here to sing, to pray, to be life on life, to meet with one another outside church, outside Sunday morning, together. And that's part of God's grace for us. Part of the way that God's going to provide for us as a shepherd, that we are his sheep as a flock together. Let's read our scripture memory verse for the month. 1 Corinthians 1.18, say it with me. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. 1 Corinthians 1.18.
Let's pray. God, our Father, we have got questions from our individual life to our church life. But you are God and you have a plan. A plan that we may just have learned about, but a plan that you've been working for eternity to bring yourself glory. And God, you are our shepherd. That means you're going to provide for us and protect us and lead us and guide us because you love us. And so we come before you now as your people. And Father, those of us that are believers in Jesus, maybe today it is that we need to confess some sin, repent and turn from that sin and follow you. God, there are those that have not yet believed Jesus as their personal Savior and Lord that are in this place or online with us. And maybe today they need to make that commitment and say, I don't understand everything, but I'm going to trust Jesus will save me from my sins. Give me abundant life on earth and eternal life in heaven. God, whatever we need to do, would we do it today, even as we sing this song in Jesus name? Amen.